0: Welcome back to the Investor Mindset podcast. I'm your host Stephen Pesavento and today I have a phenomenal guest, uh Yona Weiss in the studio. How are you doing today, Yona?
1: It's a pleasure to join you in the studio, Stephen. It's uh
0: it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here with you as well and for some of you guys might know Yona is a powerhouse with property owners, tax savings. And as the business director at Madison Spec, a national cost segregation leader, he's assisted clients in saving tens of millions of dollars on taxes through cost segregation. He has a background in teaching and is passionate about real estate and helping others. He's a real estate investor himself, and he's the host of a new podcast, which I'm very excited about, Weiss Advice. So you ready to dive into some things?
1: I'm ready. Yeah, this is great. One of my favorite pastimes.
0: This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Steven Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Investors, have you grabbed your copy of the Passive Investor Playbook yet? If you haven't, I recommend you go pick up The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at theinvestormindset.com slash passive. You can grab that in the show notes right down below as we've interviewed tons of the top experts and brought together all of the knowledge that we have on passive investing so that you can lay a foundation for yourself to make sure you're making the right decisions in your investing career. you can grab that guide, at theinvestormindset.com slash passive. I hope you'll take advantage of it. Let's get back to it. So if we start out by looking back at earlier in your life, what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today?
1: I think, you know, when looking back like that, it's for me being a teacher and that's really where my passion has has been for the longest time. And in fact, what I did before I really got into real estate, and I think one of the most incredible things that shaped me was to have, uh, I, I wasn't being in school, right? I, I wasn't a great student, but I love to learn. So it's it's kind of an interesting dichotomy there, but and that's when it comes to real estate, we're, we're constantly learning. You know, we have this podcast over here. We have uh, these educational opportunities we're, we're getting on. For me, it was exactly that. It was having a teacher that really looked to want to help me grow and provide me certain insights. I remember the greatest teacher I ever had was someone, he, he told me something like this. And it was an old Jewish saying that says, in a place where there aren't uh, people be that person. And it's kind of taught me that lesson that you kind of have to stand up and take the hold of opportunity when it arrives, uh, if you see no one else doing something.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think that transitioned us really well into something that you're phenomenal at, obviously taking that teaching and teaching people about cost segregation. So we're going to get into some some depths of cost segregation, some advanced topics here, but what is a simple definition of what cost segregation is and how does it work?
1: A simple definition is that it's an advanced form of depreciation, right? And depreciation is a tax deduction that any property owner gets when you buy a property okay besides for your personal residence any type of investment property you now get to take the entire value of that property and take it as an income tax write-off okay that's called depreciation but it's done over a long period of time over a 27 and a half year period or a 39 year period for commercial buildings cost segregation is the process of reallocating that cost segregating that cost if you will into different components that depreciate at faster rates So you can take larger tax deductions in the earlier years of ownership. So it's a tax savings tool, it's a cash flow mechanism uh, that gets uh, tax deductions at an earlier rate.
0: I love the idea of it being a cash flow mechanism because at the at the heart of it, that's what it really does. It it, it creates the opportunity to create more cash flow and to save uh, cash flow in the short run by you know uh, essentially delaying uh, or deferring indefinitely those taxes.
1: Exactly, I think that's what you know how people have to look at it. You know, tax. It's probably you know when you hear about real estate investing and one of the things about real estate investing that makes it so great is the tax benefits, right? the Tax benefits and depreciation and cost segregation, which essentially it's the majority. What does that do? Okay, well, how does that translate? Why is that so important? Because you know, taxes are the biggest expense that anyone can possibly have, right? Any business or individual has. And so if you have a way to eliminate paying income tax or minimize it, that allows you to make a lot of money and reinvest that and grow that, have that cash flow to, to continue growing your business.
0: Yeah, I love that. And so for the operators out there, when they're going about making that purchase and they're looking at doing cost segregation, how can they estimate the level of depreciation they might expect?
1: It's different for every property, um, but we always run a free analysis for anyone who's interested in in taking a look at that. And it gives you a, a kind of bird's eye view to see what would the potential tax savings be if I did a cost segregation study. And we'll have our engineers, since we've done thousands of these, we'll have them analyze some you know, very simple details of the property to see what that would be. Typically speaking for multifamily properties, and I, I see that's a very popular asset class. A lot of people, probably a lot of your listeners are interested in that or are actively investing in that. Typically we see between, I'd say average about 25% of the purchase price being reallocated to those faster lives. So we'll talk a little bit about you know how that breaks down different, uh, what those faster lives are, but yeah.
0: Yeah. So for a multifamily property, about 25%, it's going to depend, of course, on the land value, you know, the age of the property, all these different things. So just some quick rules of thumb for other asset classes. If we're looking at storage, retail, talk to me about some of those.
1: Absolutely. Retail, you know, usually get you also somewhere between, uh, you know, around 30 35%, especially when there's uh, large land improvements, Uh, typically like a shopping mall will have huge parking lots. All of those land improvements we'll talk about are depreciated at a faster rate. Uh, Self-storage as well. It's going to depend on some very important factors, specifically if there is climate control. Climate control is something that's depreciated on a five-year schedule, and that usually has a large value to it. So again it's going to depend a lot on what's going on in every individual property but on average yeah you're looking at about 20 to 25% on uh, on storage mobile home parks happen to be a huge one uh because again especially when there are no tenant owned homes there's land improvements and land improvements means the concrete slabs under each home the the pavements the roads the, the landscaping fencing all that stuff has value and essentially that's the majority of the value you're looking at you know upwards of 50% reallocation in uh, mobile home park.
0: Yeah. And so that's great to have those rules of thumb down for people to just understand generally what they're looking at when they're going to go through this process. And that's 25% or 50% or 35% of the total purchase price of the property. So let's focus deeply on multifamily because it's the most popular in my circle. And most of the listeners are focused in that asset class. So we'll focus there, but we'll kind of refer back to some of the other options as well, if it, if it makes sense, but talk to me a little bit about how it's different, you know, how the the depreciation uh, benefits are different. If it's a property that's stabilized, meaning there's not really renovations or things to, that are going to be done to the property. It's something that has light value add, a little bit of updates or renovations are going to happen quickly. Or if it's something that's a heavy redevelopment where you're going to essentially be rebuilding uh, or redesigning every unit, roofs, plumbing, concrete, all that kind of stuff. So how does that change depending on from stabilize all the way to redevelopment?
1: Absolutely. So first off, when you buy the property, that's when your depreciation starts. And it's based on the purchase price. Okay, not not based on how much money you spent, but how much money was actually put into to buy that. So you get the advantage of the leverage of the financing. That's first and foremost, that doesn't change if you do an appraisal, if you refinance, anything like that, where that does change is when you're going to be adding money into the property, when you're going to be doing capital improvements. So I'm glad you asked this to break it down. The first thing we do is we look, we do cost segregation on the acquisition cost. Okay. Which means we segregate, we separate, we split up that purchase price into different categories. You have land, which doesn't depreciate. You have the building and the main structural components of the property, like the roof, walls, floor, windows, doors, main um, utility features, all that stuff depreciates on a 27 and a half year schedule or 39 year schedule for commercial. What we're doing is we're separating out other assets, five year property, which is personal property, appliances, furniture, fixtures, all that kind of good stuff and the land improvements which is 15 year property as i mentioned before. So on acquisition where there's no improvements, you know, pretty much straightforward turnkey investment, we're looking at getting the tax deductions from that acquisition cost. Now, when you add money into that property as you go along, you and let's just take it the steps just like you laid out. If it's a simple light value add, uh, there may be certain things that can depreciate faster. Whenever you add money into that Property, it's gonna be depreciated. That means you can take the tax deductions of however much money was spent, regardless of you spent it or you know the bank spent that money, it doesn't matter. That's put into your property, it's added to depreciation. When there's a small amount, let's say you, you know, you're simple, you replace the carpeting. Okay. You replace the carpeting, all the units. That carpeting depreciates on a five-year schedule, okay, which means you're gonna go ahead right off. Uh, the value of what you replaced, it it has very little value to it, but that's a tax write-off. Then whatever you put in, let's say you spent $50,000 on replacing the carpeting, you can now depreciate that. And that's eligible for, you know, that five-year treatment of depreciation and bonus depreciation, as I'm sure we'll get to as well as a first year tax deduction. However, and, and that can go along. It may not be in the first year. Maybe the second year, if ownership. So you can actually go back, get a supplemental conservation study done, and update to whatever was improved on, whatever uh, additions were made. When you're doing a major renovation, where we're talking about literally a gut renovation, so this is where it gets a little bit tricky okay? If you're doing a gut renovation, and especially if there are no tenants, I know a lot of times you buy a multifamily property, you're turning the units as they go, right? As tenants move out, you maybe be turning those units. But let's take a far extreme example where you're actually buying a property. Maybe it's a small multifamily, okay? Maybe it's a, a duplex or a fourplex, and you literally just want to gut the whole thing, and no one's in there, okay? You don't have any tenants at that time. So the problem with this is that rental property income uh, rental properties get this depreciation deduction. However, it's only for a rental property that is functioning as a rental property is placed in service, is in service. If it's vacant and essentially what you've done is you've bought a building, but you're not renting it out, you're renovating it, it only gets the rental property treatment and the depreciation starts only when it's rent ready, okay? Okay. That also makes a big difference in terms of the cost segregation because if you buy it and then essentially just rip out everything, then all you're basically buying uh, or what's going to be looked at for depreciation is just the land and the building, the structure, because all of the other stuff is getting ripped out and you're going to replace that. So when we look at cost segregation on a major renovation like that, as I just described, we're only looking at the actual renovation costs to what can be depreciated at a faster rate and not the actual purchase price. Because that's, again, just going to be allocated to land and building.
0: Yep, that makes so much sense. And so when an operator is looking to start planning for this, they should really be talking to somebody like you right from the very beginning so that you guys can understand and estimate what things are going to look like. And then as soon as the property closes, you guys can can begin that work.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why we provide that free analysis upfront, because we'll give you a a gauge and an idea of, you know, what the potential tax savings are going to be, as well as if you're doing that major renovation, we can look at the the construction budget and see based on what you're planning on spending the money on, you know, how much of that is going to be separated to what category.
0: And so back to that redevelopment piece, if part of the building is been vacated uh, after purchase, uh, the property was purchased in service, but then part of the property is taken out of service. How is that handled?
1: So as long as it's one property, and I gave the extreme example, and I'm glad you followed up with that. Sure. But- uh, but if part of the property is still in service, it's still considered a rental property. It's not split up from that regard from terms of depreciation. So you still get the depreciation deduction. You're still collecting rent on it. And we're going to look at, you know, the property as a whole, and then we'll look at the redevelopment um, in, in phases, okay? So you're going to get the acquisition costs. You're going to get the depreciation, the conservation on that acquisition. And, you know, maybe the next year you come back and, and look at the uh, depreciation, conservation on the renovation component.
0: And so how quickly does this process start from start to finish? Closing the property and we're like, let's get to work. How quickly are we receiving that information back so that, you know, we're ready for tax time?
1: Yeah. It usually takes us a few weeks to turn around um, the whole study from beginning to end. It requires an engineer component to it, which, you know, we didn't really talk about this, but it, you know, it's involved the engineer coming to the property. And most of the time we're actually doing it virtually uh, at, this, at this stage, but our engineers are still visiting the property, whether with their personal bodies or with virtually the help of someone else, it takes about a few weeks, take that report, all those findings, create that report, turn it around. It's not something that needs to get done before the end of the year per se, but needs to be done before you file for your taxes for that year.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. So w- what goes into the depth of the process that requires an engineer to be involved? And, uh, you know, w- why can't, you know, just an accountant do something like this? It's part of the reason why a lot of accountants
1: don't even know about this. Okay. Let alone um, don't do it because the IRS in the cost segregation audit techniques guide uh delineates there all of the principles that need to go into a quality cost segregation study. And one of those, you know, fundamental principles is that it needs to be conducted by someone with the engineering training. So because they're coming into the property, well, uh, you asked what that, you know, what it consists of, the engineer visits the property, takes pictures, measurements of everything inside and outside, and is able to then basically reverse engineer, what every tiny detail, I mean, from fixtures to screws and nails, everything, um, what, everything falls into which category of depreciation schedule. And then now take those findings, create a very detailed calculation of the useful life, you know, the potential useful life, the tax useful life, make these calculations, how much value is in each of those things. And then how much can we now depreciate and how, how much can we take as a tax deduction? So it's something that accountants can't actually do. There are large accounting firms that employ engineers on staff and do it in house. But the majority of accounts that I've spoken with actually don't even, aren't even very familiar with it because it's such a tiny niche
0: kind of part of the tax code. So you really need that expertise to be able to understand what are the different items that are going into that property and how you can actually separate that out. And so tell us why has, why has the tax code included something like this so that you can break down these individual items and essentially uh, take depreciation on a much faster basis. And then we'll talk about bonus depreciation in a second.
1: Sure. I think it's based on the concept, you know, and we all understand that things go down in value as time goes on and things do have a useful life. And it actually is true in a sense that your carpet lasts a much shorter time than the walls and the roof of your building. Uh, Okay, so the principles are are true. And so it makes sense that, well, I mean, maybe I'll take a step back. The whole concept of depreciation doesn't really make sense, okay? The fact that you can now take a tax deduction of the thing, but based in the world, that depreciation as a tax deduction you know, makes sense and the government decided to incentivize people for buying property within that framework, it makes sense that things depreciate or things go down in value as time goes on at different rates. And so that the IRS would give these different treatments, to different objects and components and assets within your building does make sense. Uh, it still doesn't really make sense uh, why they're doing in the first place. And uh, I'll even make it more, it's not intrinsic to the actual cost and the actual useful life of the of the item because that depreciation, if you remember what I said at the beginning, starts the day you purchase the property. Meaning that 27 year schedule or 39 year schedule starts the day you buy it in 2020, even if the building was built in 1925 and the and the you know the carpeting has been in there for, for 17 years and et cetera, you get to now take the tax deduction depreciation as if it you know starting now over a 27 year period.
0: Yeah, it sounds like something clearly cooked up in a lawmaker's office, who is not a real estate a- agent or investor or experienced professional in the space, but at the core, the tax code is really just a map of what the government wants its citizens to do, and it's created this deduction, this depreciation, as an ability to incentivize people to go take that action or go and do uh, whatever they are specifically uh, interested in people doing, and in this case, it happens to be you know buying uh, commercial real estate and improving commercial real estate because. Because if things do degrade over time, then clearly it's going to make sense that we're going to want to incentivize people to, you know, bring things up to a new level of of quality, as well as giving somebody the benefit for buying something that is now worth much more uh, than it was twenty or thirty years ago when that last investor bought it.
1: Hundred percent, and and just like you said, it's clear that there are incentives for this. How how much? You know, and how little that makes sense, according to it's hard to know. I mean, obviously, residents having a roof over your head and having a place to live is one of the most essential necessities that you know anyone can have. So it does make sense that the government is incentivizing people to be involved in that. And,
0: and so what are some of the reasons that somebody would not want to go about doing cost segregation, um, you know, on a property they own?
1: One of the main things, and I'm glad you asked this question because it's not necessarily beneficial for everyone. People who are considered real estate professionals by the IRS's definition, which means you spend more than 50% of your time involved in rental property and the material participation of real estate, whether that's being a broker or manager or construction, whatever that is, people who are real estate professionals actually get a much you know, much more brighter tax treatment that they can use these deductions to offset their ordinary income as well. Whereas, you know, regular people with regular folk who, who who are not real estate professionals are limited to the amount of deductions they can take beyond their rental property income, okay? So who is this gonna be for? Where would it might not make sense is someone who doesn't really need those deductions. You, If you don't need extra tax deductions because either A, you don't need them because you already have, you know, No, not paying in taxes anyways, or you can't use them because you're not a real estate professional and your regular depreciation for whatever reason is offsetting your rental property income, then that's first and foremost, who it's not going to benefit. So it probably doesn't make sense. So it has less from that regard, it has less to do with the property than it does the, you know, the owner of the property or owners.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And so for the passive investors out there who are not real estate professionals, you can still get benefit from depreciation, but it's only on the passive income that you earn instead of the ordinary income for somebody who's a real estate professional, an agent, a broker, um, somebody who works in that space. They're going to end up being able to write off ordinary income as well and not tax advice. But this is typically how we've seen it play out, right? 100%. Okay, well, this is this is really phenomenal. And so, if somebody is a passive investor, uh, and we have a number of those that are listening, and a number of operators are going to be advising passive investors on on how to look at different deals, you know, how should a passive investor be looking at a sponsor's deal, and how can they understand? What's realistic when it comes to the depreciation that they might be able to expect in return? And how do they kind of confirm that, hey, this makes sense uh, and this is accurate so that I can receive the benefits that are being projected?
1: Sure. One of the things that surprises a lot of investors or a lot of operators at the beginning is at the end of the year, when they get their tax returns and they get their K-1 statement, which is basically a list of what their rental property income is and what the deductions they've had. And they're surprised that they it's, in a, neg- it's a negative number, right? And they're like, wait a minute, I thought I made money on this investment. And you're saying I lost money? Uh, no, no, stop right there. It means that you have more deductions than you actually have income. But The income that you made is tax free, is what that means. So, the thing that a lot of investors, especially past investors, need to realize is that yes, you're limited to how much of that depreciation you can use, but it's first and foremost used to offset rental property income. So, if you have a number of investments um, across different rental properties, you can use depreciation from from one, spills over to, to offset income from other investments as well. Okay, so that's first and foremost. Your investment, most likely for the first uh, at least three years, if not five years, of the investment. If you're doing a consolidation, you're probably going to have the returns on those investments tax-free. Okay. And another thing, I'll just add in here, which has nothing to do with depreciation, but is a very cool thing. A lot of people don't know as well is that from a tax perspective, if you do a refinance, and I know a lot of sponsors like to return a portion of the capital invested, the principal invested to the investors upon that capital event, upon the refinance, the money that's coming to you from that refinance is also tax-free. Okay, that's tax-free money. Uh, So so that's a very interesting fact over there as well. So again, just to reiterate that, the biggest thing you want to know as a passive investor and as a sponsor is the income you're getting is most likely going to be tax free um, or minimized you know, extensively. And that's going to play out for at least the first three to five years.
0: So that's really, really important to know. And that's if we're not taking into account bonus depreciation. And so tell us what bonus depreciation is and when it's relevant.
1: Bonus depreciation, it's called 100% bonus depreciation was a a new rule that came about in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and the Trump tax reform a couple of years ago. And what that says is once you've done a cost segregation study, once you've allocated assets to faster depreciation schedules, instead of just spreading those depreciation over a faster schedule, you can actually have the choice, the option to take the entire amount, 100% of that in the first year as a tax deduction. So in our example before the beginning, we we're talking about a 25% of your purchase price in, um, in deductions that you're spreading over a five-year period and a 15-year period. You're getting a lot over, over that amount of time, but you can have the option to take that in the first year. I mean, we we're talking about a million dollar purchase. That's a 200, dollars $250,000 tax deduction in the first year. I mean, it's just huge. It's a game changer. So that's what bonus depreciation is. That will certainly create that passive loss, that negative uh, K one balance. Uh, but you know, not all is lost because if you can't use it this year, it carries forward, and you can use it in future
0: years. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And then the final thing that I really wanted to talk about here is that you know, at the end of the the period, we're going to sell the property. There's often you know, uh, depreciation recapture. Talk to us about what happens there and what investors and uh, operators need to be thinking about when we come to the end of an investment.
1: So as you mentioned, there's something called depreciation recapture tax. It's a misnomer. Some people think that it means you have to pay back your depreciation, that's not what it means. It actually means you're just taxed on the amount of depreciation that was taken over the investment period, over that holding period. So if you're doing constant you are taking more depreciation upfront, which means you're going to be taxed on that entire amount later on. Um, that's something to note. That's uh, something important to kind of put into your business plan, perhaps. But it's its something that you should know that you're subject to this. Does Every tax that you're subject to does not necessarily mean that you... You know, have to pay that up front because there are other strategies and ways to, you know, avoid that. And so I'll maybe touch on a couple of those because it is important. You know, it's not to think, oh, well, yeah, I'm yes, I'm taking the deductions now, but I'm actually gonna have to pay them back later. Uh it's not so. First of all, the income tax rate that you're taxed at for ordinary income tax is a much higher rate than what depreciation recapture tax would be down the road. So, anyways, you have that the time value of money, you have the arbitrage, you know, the, the difference between what you would have paid had you just paid the tax up front. But the time value of money is saying not only inflation that I'm taking advantage now, but also what I'm going to reinvest this money. What can I do with this money? Listen, if you trust Uncle Sam to invest your money better than you do, then, you know, maybe this isn't for you. You know, But I think most people agree that you can if you have the cash, you can do it with it and you can spend it and invest it better than the government does. So I would take advantage of that. A couple of those strategies I mentioned to get around that. And again, this is something gonna be different for everyone. Something to discuss with your tax advisor for sure. But first and foremost is 1031 exchange. A lot of people know about this, that when you sell a property, you can exchange it for another through this, you know, jump through these hoops that defers your capital gains tax. It also defers this depreciation recapture tax. So one way to get around it there. Another way is, um, and again, I'm only getting into one more, but there are several ways, is that, as I mentioned before, if you have a huge passive loss, if you have a huge depreciation deductions from one property and you sell another property in the same year, you can actually use those losses to offset the gains, to offset the tax uh, from that other property. So not all is lost. When we're talking about uh, depreciation recapture tax, it is something you should consider and uh, definitely look into.
0: No, that makes sense. And people need to be thinking about that and and what 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 as a passive investor when I'm receiving that on my K1, what is the impact there and and can I make the decision to take that or not take it?
1: So it affects you regardless, meaning yes, when you get that deduction, it stays there and uh, that passive loss just carries forward. So it, it's you don't have a choice. Once the operator has decided to take the depreciation and allocate it, it's done on the property level. And so that is split up and allocated proportionally to whoever, you know, however much the investors own their shares, they get proportionally the income, their returns, they also get proportionally their deductions. The one time where that might be different is if it's the property is owned by a tenants in common type structure, which is a, you know, a tick structure is a different way where actually individual individuals or groups of people might be invested in portions of the property and each tenants in common um, entity is taxed differently.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. Well, this has been really, really great. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch?
1: Best way to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, You can find me there. I'm very, very active there. In fact, I check that more frequently than my email. Uh, You can go to hyonawise.com. So just my name, find a lot about what what we're up to. You can find our company through that website as well, Madison Specs. And if you do want a free feasibility analysis to check out if it might be for you or not, you can enter a form through that website and uh, we can work that out.
0: Wonderful. Well, so great to have you on today. Thank you for being here and uh, look forward to the next time we get to have you on.
1: Likewise, Steve, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to investormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.